0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor John McDougall, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. That verse that was, <clears throat> was highlighted in Psalm 29, all in his temple cry, glory. was uh, was flashing back to a freshman in high school. We went on a mission trip to a church plant on the north side of Indy, and the young pastor was always saying, glory, glory, glory. It's just part of his uh, everyday vocab, and um, it impacted me as a, as a young man. And it was like, man, this guy's got a joy, and he's always shouting glory. And Fast forward, this young pastor, Don Jennings, came down with MS, was diagnosed with MS, and God took him through deep valleys, continuing to pastor, and was talking with him a couple years ago, and do you know what he said on the phone? (laughs) Glory. And, And I never knew where that came from, and it was this psalm. All in his temple cry, glory. Our God, he is worthy of our praise, honor, all glory in the good days, but especially in the, the tough times, because he's there in the tough times, isn't he? And just visiting with a few of you before service, realizing, man, it's been good, it's also been hard for a lot of us, and when we go through those valleys, his goodness and his love, it's tracking with us, isn't it? And in some ways, it's even closer, but... Uh, but the good days. I, I hope it's been a good week for you. And this time of year in Indiana is just the best, isn't it? Um, September. I, I, I keep singing to Tam um, Neil Diamond, "September Morning," <laughs> old old favorite. But uh, man, September it just turns beautiful. The uh, the leaves go in gold and and. Uh, but I encourage us as it does, as these leaves go gold, and and we just enjoy all that we're enjoying. Many of you out on the sports fields, just the gift of game to be shouting glory. Let's, let's just make this a glory month, amen? The enthronement of God with, by the dethronement of self, even as we look around at creation. But we are, uh, are you guys ready to run? Everybody feeling loose? The, uh, we are on a chase. The chase is on. And if you were not with us last week, we began the chase, that, or unveiled the theme for this coming ministry year, which will be uh, Chasing Humility. And appreciate Abby working on this and West. Does everybody get that pick? Kind of what that, the deeper meaning behind that. We're normally we're all chasing the spotlight, but the call of Christ is actually a chase out of the spotlight, and um, to to. Walk humbly with God, humbly with those around us. And so today and for the next four weeks, we are looking at a core text that will, or each week, a different text that will help us in our pursuit of following Jesus into a life of humility. Last week, it was so neat seeing our town abuzz with the uh, the race, the 5K mini marathon. And Saturday morning, as I was driving out to church, the uh, r- race went right down Mackey Road. And so immediately, I saw these runners <laughs> that are, they must have been, long into the race because they were agonizing and you could just see the pain and just uh, pushing through and I couldn't resist rolled down the window and I just started fist pumping them as uh, as I'm going by these different runners and immediately you just saw that the the looks in their face a smile total stranger but the fist pump pumped them up to get a little energy and I thought about this hour together that we come to offer our worship to the Lord but also as we open his word One of the goals is that you would be encouraged in heart, that we would be united in love, and that we would be anchored, rooted in Christ and all that we have in Christ. That's Colossians chapter 2 right there where where Paul says, my goal is you would be encouraged in heart. So each week, I I hope and pray that as we open God's word, it would just, um, he will give you what you need to take that that next step. So we are at last week, just to review because it was a super important text. 1 Peter chapter uh, 5, verse 5, or we were in verses 1 to 11, verse 5. I'll review this just to, to catch everyone up and remind us where we are. Second part of verse 5 says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because, and this is that big why we talked about, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up. In due time, so the takeaway last week was: Are you in? And um, the ant- hopefully we all answered, "Yep, I'm in." So this week we are locking in on the life and teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter twenty. So if you would join me there, Matthew chapter twenty, and we'll be uh, reading in verse. We'll begin in verse seventeen. As we come to this text, it's a. a time in our Lord's life where when he's nearing his death. He's preparing his team for what's to come, and you can feel him just really downloading the essentials of what they're going to need for the race. Before we get into this text, quick question. Have you felt the utter frustration of being headed for an important destination and making a wrong turn, which costs you time, and, and you're just rolling down this wrong road, and just that if you, anyone else felt that? Pretty sure we've all probably <laughs> been there and we could fill up the dinner table hour this afternoon with stories of, of our painful moments. One that immediately jumps to my mind was we, it was in the middle of the rain ride. A big, it was the, uh, a bike race that was joining Alan Hocker going from the uh, west side of Indi- Indiana in uh, Terre Haute all the way to the east side of Indiana in Richmond in one day. So we're fired up to do this take off, we get through, uh, came down Route 40, you know, through uh, Plainfield, Indianapolis, beautiful, get to the other side of Indy, so the race, we're getting tired, limited energy, I w- we were following some guys, went down a country road, and about two miles down that road, we realized there's no, no other, we're out here all by ourselves, we took a wrong turn, and we're absolutely accelerating down the wrong when time is precious and energy is precious. And it was so frustrating to stop and hear the tick, 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 tick of the clock as we're looking at the map. But what a relief to reroute, drive back down that road, get back on the path, and accelerate towards the wind. It's one thing to miss a turn in a bike race across Indiana. It's another thing to miss a turn, be going the wrong direction in the race of life, and spending our one and only life precious time headed in the wrong direction. Today's text is a gift from God to inform us and to reroute us at an intersection where we are all tempted daily to take the wrong turn and go the wrong direction with our lives. And so we'll uh, we'll dig into this text. The, the big picture um, calling of our Lord is follow me in this way. But the the text begins, or what will, um, as we work through this, there'll be four scenarios that, that we'll walk through with our Lord, or four scenes. At each scene, I'll, we'll provide a summary, and then we'll, we'll talk through that. But if you would join me there in verse 17. The first scene, we see the Lord, He's going up to Jerusalem, and on the way, He took the twelve aside, and He said to them, and this is the third time, He's talked to them about His death. He says, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over, so you feel there the pain of of betrayal, to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and they will condemn him to death and feel the sting of injustice. This perfect one is going to be condemned to death, and then they will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged. This is that path of humiliation that that he will experience experience and then to be crucified to death. Then this last line that's so good, on the third day he will be raised to life. Our Lord gives them and, and in turn us at the start here, this first scene, the course map for life. Here Jesus is giving his disciples an overview of where they're headed, where he's headed, where they're headed, and ultimately we know through the rest of his teaching where we are headed as his followers, and it is the the path as we chase humility, it's a path that will lead us into times of suffering, times of humiliation, and then the glory. Did you notice it's the, uh, what we talked about a couple years ago and we we keep coming back to, it's the J-curve, right? It's the J-curve, the delivered over. We start out in life, and we don't immediately go up. It's, we, we go. There's a downward path of humiliation for the follower of Jesus, or of humbling. Delivered over, condemned to death, mocked, flogged, crucified, and here our Lord is preparing them for the descent. It's the way of love, where we die to ourselves, and we're willing to lay down our lives for the good of those around us. It's so important about knowing this, this map, or the course map, and he's trying to prepare his, his uh, team for this, but it orients us in our suffering, doesn't it? The cross was a shock to these guys when it happens. Often we feel that shock in our own systems as, as we enter seasons of suffering and, and humiliation, it's chasing humility. It's going to take us into those moments of um, being rejected and um, laying down our will for, for his will But in those moments, God is very much at work, and it's the path that we must follow. I I love this, um, the last line, though, and don't you love how he's, yes, there is a a humbling and a bottom of this J curve, but what does our Lord focus on that third line where, where he says, and on the third day, he will be raised to life, or the third day. And we are people of the resurrection, aren't we? We serve a risen Lord. We follow a risen Lord. And we know that this thin veil of suffering that we experience now, behind that is the, the beautiful, bright morning of eternal joy. <laughs> and that's our primary reality. And yet, there is a, a path of suffering on this road. So, the first scene, we, we see the course map here. So, that leads to the next scene. Now, we, we know they, the, the disciples were struggling with this, and, and we, I'm sure, would have as well. We know... We have the benefit of history and looking back. But interesting reaction for two of the disciples. Notice in the scene here, you could entitle a wrong turn. So this is that intersection where they take a wrong turn in verse 20 to 23. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's son. So we know this is Salome. Salome was with <clears throat> Jesus at the cross. Um, loyal follower. She was, uh, She's actually family. She's sister to... Ma- Jesus' mother, so she, this is an aunt, and she's her two sons are cousins to Jesus. So she uh, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, there's a posture of respect, and she asks him for a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, <clears throat> Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Before we unpack this moment and take a look at the wrong turn and how to avoid that, just notice the... uh, There's a beautiful nobility in this request. When you think about, Jesus just said, I'm going to the cross. I'll I'll be raised again on the third day. Do you you see the faith in their request? That this mom is coming with her sons saying, we believe that your kingdom's going to come. We believe that that you will be king, and so we want to be... The sons, we we want to sit in your right and and your left. And there's a a nobility to their faith. There's also a nobility to their devotion where they're like, we want to be right left of you. We're we're here for you and we want to serve you and and, uh, be a part of, of what you're doing. You see their devotion. It's a noble request, but it's also scary blind, isn't it? Scary blind. What's at the... What's tainting the motive of their request? Or or, uh, you just feel the the way of the world influencing their request in their thinking. They're asking for the right and the left, left, the positions of, of influence, of power, of status, of honor. The best positions in the kingdom, can we have those? It's pride at the heart, tainting their motives. In essence, what are they asking for? They're saying, Jesus, here's our request. Would you elevate us? Would you elevate us? We, we want to be elevated to the best of positions. Your right hand, your left hand, we want that place. Notice how Jesus responds. First, he points to the J-curve. He says, can you drink the cup? You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And that cup is symbolic of the suffering that he will suffer. The, the cross and they and you love their response they're like yeah we're in and he says yes you will drink of my cup and what do we know about James and John James was the first one who was martyred for his faith beheaded by uh, Herod and then uh, John too was exiled and suffered greatly suffered through long life but in, on an island so they would drink the cup <clears throat> excuse me but but notice how Jesus responds They come to him and they say, here's our request, elevate us. And what does he say? I can't. What? What what do you mean you can't? You're the second person of the Trinity. We've seen you heal blind people, lame. We've seen you raise people from the dead. We've seen you calm the storms. You're God. You can do whatever you want to do how is it you're saying you can't these are not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom have been prepared for my father you see what we just witnessed you guys the glory of humility within the trinity And this isn't the only place again and again. Jesus will even say, these words that I'm giving you guys, that everybody's following me and loving my teaching, they're not my words. They're my Father's. And I do nothing on my own. I only do what the Father calls me to do. What's He doing here, guys? He's showing us the way. He's standing there at that place where we are following pride down the path of, elevate me, elevate me, position power. And He's saying, this is the way of life second person of the trinity humbling himself as he lives out the mission that the father has has given him and then that leads us to this third moment or third scene and it's the rerouting moment and Jesus uh, huddles the team says verse 24 he says uh or it says when the ten heard about this they were indignant with the two brothers (laughs) <laughs> and what are they all thinking? why didn't I ask for this? You know, and they're using their family position to get up on the right and the left and get the honor and get the glory. I, I immediately thought of what blows up team chemistry every time, blows up family chemistry, church chemistry, but team chemistry, it's that posi- going for the, the glory, right? We see it in sports all the time. So my mind immediately went to one of my favorite teams of all time, the 85 Bears. If you were alive during that time, it was... The most dominant defense ever to put stuff onto the football field. I'm a Bears fan, so I'm biased, but they just destroyed people. It was so fun. Richard Dent, Mike Singletary, Gary Fencek, just blowing people up. You, they made the other team just look like a, a bunch of middle schoolers trying to go against pros. It was so fun. So you're thinking d- dynasty for the next 10 years, but what happens? And different opinions on this, but pretty much I think everybody went chasing their glory, and the team gone the next year, just gone. It's like, oh, let's fill that here. So what's Jesus do? Team huddle, guys, huddle up. <clears throat> Jesus called them together, and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They power up. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, and notice he doesn't call us out of the pursuit of greatness, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life As a ransom for many. And what is our Lord doing here? He's rerouting us from that wrong path of elevating ourselves to the path of follow me into a life of humble, loving service. Rather than elevating yourself, the thing to be thinking of is how can I lift the people around me? How can I serve the people around me? Let your great ambition be this. For true greatness is found here in the kingdom of God. So notice what Jesus is doing is so radical from our normal world system. So in the normal world system, the person with the greatest leadership position or power or influence, everyone else is there to serve that person, right? So we're climbing up the ladder, and and that person speaks, and and, uh, the people under that person that have to jump, have to move. Jesus takes that whole pyramid system and flips it upside down and says, when you are the most influential person in your context, so in your family or in your whatever group or work or whatever it may be, wherever God has entrusted power to you, that's not so that the many can serve you. That's so that you can use your power to serve them and influence them. Your first thought is not, what can they do for me, but rather, how can I leverage this power, this influence, Lay down my life to make their lives better. (laughs) That's it. When you're the most powerful person in the room, what do you do? Your first thought, as a follower of Jesus, guys, this is different. The first thought is, how can I serve, be a slave to the people around me? Lift them up. Humbly serve them. Lay down my life for them. And, and then, don't you love how he just calls us to fix our eyes on him? Jesus is our great example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Did he deserve to be served? Yeah, he... Uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, deserves all of our service and all of our humble service. And yet when he came, he did not come to be served. He did not come to occupy a throne. He came to occupy a cross for you and for me. Our only hope to be set free from the penalty of our sin, the power of death, and the power of sin over us that that where we were in bondage to doing the wrong thing, doing evil, our only hope was a ransom price to set us free. We were slaves to sin. We needed a ransom price. And it says, he says here in this text, gave his life as a ransom for many. What paid set us free or paid our sin debt? It was the precious blood of Jesus Christ poured out on the cross nothing left. He gave his all. He took our hit, the hit that we deserved, bled out, purchased our freedom. Freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from, um, but but then it goes further to the freedom from that bondage and I just love that even today to be able to chase humility and pursue a life of humble loving service came at the cost of our savior but in a moment of humility condescension that leaves us on our knees in worship and leaves us following him with everything that we've got and I pray in this moment that the Lord through his word will be rerouting in your heart in a way that only he can do wherever there is pride wherever there's the elevation of self the thought of self above others and that he will be rerouting you in this moment to, to a place of humble, loving service and saying, How can I lay down my life to lift the people up around me? Yet the voices of the world saying, No, man, you want to go for the name, make your name great. But we have our king saying, No, this is the greatness, this is the path. Less of me, more of you. And may I lift up the people around me, follow me into a life of humble, loving service success in the kingdom of God is this. This weekend was a highlight for our church family as out of the blue, this seminary that I um, was so blessed to go to way back, Dallas Theological Seminary, called and said, we're wanting to have a presence in the Midwest, share a uh, a seminar where we're going to go from Genesis to Revelation, and the president of the seminary is going to come and teach it, two days. Like, wow. So, yeah, and so appreciate our team, Marcy, and all those who helped make that this weekend happened, um, and just, yeah, going, seeing God and his covenant promises and what he's done just filled us up with faith, love, and, and uh, joy in, in all that we have. But for me, as I'm reconnecting with folks from Dallas, it was taking me down memory lane, and as I came to this text, remembered possibly the most valuable year in my seminary journey in terms of learning, I was not even in school. Went down to seminary and for two years, you know, thinking, hey, let's go bigger, better. Let's Billy Graham the world. Let's save the world. We're getting prepared. We're sharpening the ax so we can go save the world. Reach thousands. Tam has a lump up here on her neck and she's like, hey, that's interesting. She's only 24, so probably nothing. But we go in. It's cancer. Whoa. She has to go through chemotherapy, medical bills going up. So I had to step out of school for a year to work, pay for the bills, and take care of one person. And I remember thinking, Lord, how's this fit in the plan? I'm training to be a pastor, and we need to go save the world. And here was his message to me. John, success in my kingdom is not you reaching many. It's you being faithful to serve the person I put right in front of you. And if that's your wife for the rest of your life, you are great in my kingdom. That's the win. Guys, that's the win. And thankfully, God um, healed her, brought her through that, and two more years, and we were able to, to be out and about. But I'm so grateful. For that, but ultimately for our Lord's example in this. And then the fourth scene here is a new prayer. And uh, love this moment. Notice uh, verse 29, it says, And Jesus and his disciples, were as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and two blind men were sitting by the roadside. Now, you might notice in this text, there, there were two apostles, right? Now there are two blind men. Is there a connection that God wants us to make and Matthew wants us to make? Possibly. They're sitting by the roadside, and when they heard Jesus going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped, or, or the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for them? Or what do you want me to do for you, he asked. So, interesting again, he, uh, same question that he asked, to us alone, what what do you want me to do for you and remember remember what she asked elevate us i want my sons elevated same question what do you want me to do for you yes and here's a very different answer lord they answered we want our sight jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed him Notice the Lord stops when he hears the cry for mercy. I think what a fitting prayer for us to pray on a daily basis. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. We're not asking for position or for power, but we're asking for for his mercy. Interesting that the crowd rebukes these two uh, blind men. I love it that they shout all the louder, though. They're desperate for God's help, and and don't you love it that Jesus stops and walks over to them, and as I see him doing that, it checks me up in my heart, who are the outcasts in my life or people I may be walking by who are in need? You know, and maybe the busyness of life is just, I'm charging the to-do list, and People that maybe the rest of the world is walking by are not valuing, devaluing. People who have, may not have much status in our world or even in our system of value. And, and God values all people. He calls us to, to be present, to be His presence. The Lord asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to see. He touches their eyes. And they received their sight. Why does God have Matthew position this text or this moment right after he's had this talk with the disciples and tried to communicate the way of his kingdom, which we tend to be blind to? Could it be he's cluing us into our own blindness of soul that we all share, blinded by pride, ever chasing glory? Flying down the wrong road, living to elevate self in desperate need of mercy. Could it be these two blind men are showing us the path to grace? A path that we need to take and a new prayer that we need to pray. Rather than praying, Lord, elevate me, pray, Lord, have mercy on me, I want to see Have mercy on me, I want to see. My greatest need is spiritual sight, to see the way of humility rather than be charging down the way of pride, to see the needs of the people around me, to see life as you see life. Lord, I want to see me, I want to see the pride in me so that I can confess that I want to see you so that I can follow your example and I want to see people the way that you see people so that I can be your presence to them and do the good that you've called me to do. Would you be willing to pray that prayer this morning? And this week, make it a prayer. Lord, have mercy on me. I want to see. Take away my spiritual blindness. Reveal the pride in me. Even if it's hard to see, reveal it. Help me confess it. Help me see you, the path that you've called me to take, and help me see people as you see them. Have mercy on me, I want to see. So bringing it all together, the challenge of the day is to follow Jesus into a, a life of humble, loving service. And don't you love the, the gift that this text is to us? Jesus gives us the road map, gives us the J curve. It's going to go down, but then up. But then he, uh, what a gift as he confronts us in our tendency to take the wrong route. But then he's kind enough to reroute us, say, guys, huddle up. This is the way it is in my kingdom. And when you get confused, just follow me. <laughs> follow my life of humble, loving service. And then in his grace, he gives us this picture of two blind men praying a prayer that, that we can pray as well for our own spiritual blindness. True greatness. And you know, it's neat when, when we pray that prayer, I think God does open our eyes to see greatness. And we, we stop chasing the, the position and the power, and we start pursuing that greatness of humble service and valuing that I saw it this week weekend and it was so fun to uh, the, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary gave up his time energy to come out here and humbly serve the church teaching his heart out it was beautiful and he used his gifts and his abilities but greatness wasn't because this guy has a position it's because he had a humble so I watched him talk with people and love on people I saw it sitting at our table back there the first day. In comes this guy who's probably 60-something with a 50-something guy. The 50-something was in a wheelchair. His name was Gary. At 50, he was hit with a debil- debilitating disease that took, is taking his faculties. He, he needs full total care. He can hardly, can't even lift up his head. He's in a wheelchair. He has no family. This guy, David, who was pushing him, was just a neighbor who loves Jesus, saw a guy in need, felt the nudge of Jesus to go be, help him, and now he is his all-in caregiver. <laughs> and, and it's just like, that's greatness. So I come in Saturday morning fired up to tell these guys, they just say, thank you for your example. You blessed me he meets me back here as I walk in. First guy I saw was David, tears in his eyes, and he said, I want you to tell that young man who was sitting at our table back there, thank you, because he took the time to have a conversation with Gary, and that's not easy. The young man was Michael Humphrey. Loving on Gary meant so much to David. That's greatness in the kingdom of heaven. May we chase it. The question, what would it look like for you to follow Jesus into a life of humble, loving service today? That sneeze was a sweet amen. Thank you. <laughs> the, uh, what would it look like, you know? And one of our habits, five habits, the fifth one is everybody's doing a ministry, serving the church body. So hopefully everybody is a member of our church serving, and we'd love to help you with that, get in on that. But where service really starts, It starts at home. Am I living to serve the people God put closest around me? What am I doing to serve them? And then it goes to work and our school and our, our community, our small group. what would it look like to live a life of humble, loving service to the people closest around me? And then it also goes to, how am I serving the orphan, the widow, those who um, have not been blessed with what I've been blessed with? How can I leverage what God's given me for them? And the, uh, may we follow the challenge of today is to follow Jesus into a life of humble.